From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday, June 1st, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the U.S. bill to raise the debt ceiling is on its way to the Senate after passing in the House of Representatives. Uh, China's defense minister will address government officials and security experts at the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore. United Nations is hosting talks in Paris on plastic pollution. In business, China's first domestically produced luxury cruise ship is nearing completion. In sports, a comeback victory to clinch the Europa League title. In culture and entertainment, Beijing's science fiction film night. Now look at the day's top stories. The U.S. House of Representatives has passed a bill to lift the government's $31.4 trillion debt ceiling. It's a major step to avoid a destabilizing default predicted for next week. Uh, The bill now heads to the Senate. Nick Harper has more from Washington, D.C. It passed relatively easy through the House of Representatives. 314 lawmakers approved this bill. Now, that's more than the simple majority they needed. But I think what's interesting to note is this bill was crafted by the Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, along with the Democratic President Joe Biden. The Republican Party holds the majority in the House of Representatives. Republicans voted against this bill. They wanted more severe uh, cuts to spending and therefore were unhappy with Kevin McCarthy's negotiations. But certainly enough votes for the House of Representatives. It now moves on to the Senate, and they have obviously a ticking clock 
until Monday to get this passed, June the 5th. That's the date that the US Treasury has predicted that the US will run out of money. And yet already we've heard noises from a number of senators who are suggesting that they could hold up this bill. They want to make some changes to it, some amendments. They want to write those into the bill and that would force it back to the House of Representatives who would have to vote on it again. Now, the hope is that it could get fast-tracked through the Senate, but that might not happen. Even just one senator saying they want an amendment is going to slow this one up, potentially taking it into the weekend and getting it much closer to that Monday deadline. That was Nick Harper reporting. Germany says it'll close four out of five Russian consulates in the country. The German Federal Foreign Office says Moscow's limited the number of German officials in Russia. Russia will decide which four it'll lose. The embassy in Berlin will remain open. Stuart Smith reports from Moscow. The German Foreign Ministry says its actions are designed to create a parity of personnel and structures after the changes imposed last weekend. It says most of those who will lose their jobs or have to leave the country are working at cultural institutions like schools and nurseries. At the same time, the German Foreign Ministry said there was simply no basis for bilateral structures between the two countries. Meanwhile, top Russian official Dmitry Mifyedev has again described the United Kingdom as Russia's eternal enemy and alleged officials helping Ukraine, whether civilian or military, are legitimate targets. That came in response to the UK foreign minister saying Ukraine has a right to project force outside its borders against Russia as it seeks to defend itself. On Wednesday, there were multiple reports of drone attacks and shelling from Ukraine against targets within Russia. That was Stuart Smith reporting. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says the door is open for Ukraine to join the alliance. All allies agree that the NATO's door is open for new members. Um, all allies also agree that um, Ukraine will become a member of the uh, alliance. Uh, and all allies agree that uh, it is uh, for the NATO allies and Ukraine to decide uh, when Ukraine become, uh, becomes a member, uh, it's not for Moscow to have a veto against NATO uh, enlargement. Our foreign ministers from NATO countries are meeting in Oslo for informal talks. And Stoltenberg also commented on Sweden's membership bid. He reiterated that Turkey and the other member countries have invited Sweden to become a full member. Sudan's army has suspended talks with the rival paramilitary force over a ceasefire and aid access. In a statement, the armed forces said it halted talks in the Saudi city of Jeddah, accusing the other side of a lack of commitment in implementing any terms of the agreement and a continuous violation of ceasefires. Our reports say Army Chief Abdel Fattah al-Burhan wrote to UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres asking him to replace his envoy Volker uh, Perthes, but Guterres says he has full confidence in the UN Special Representative for Sudan. In my area of responsibility, I reaffirm to the Council my full confidence in Volker Perthes as Special Representative of the Secretary General. It's up for the Security Council to decide whether the Security Council supports the continuation of the mission for another period or whether the Security Council decides that it's time to end it. The negotiations that began in early May had produced a declaration of commitments to protect civilians and two short-term truce agreements, although those deals were repeatedly violated. The UN says the conflict has killed hundreds of people, displaced more than 1.2 million inside Sudan, and driven 400,000 others into neighboring states. 
The sister of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un says her country will increase its military surveillance capabilities. Kim Yo-jong said Pyongyang will soon send a military reconnaissance satellite into orbit. North Korea recently failed to launch a satellite because the rocket failed. A South Korean lawmaker citing the intelligence agency says it may take at least a few weeks to resolve the problem. Coming up, China's defense minister at the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore. This week, in commemoration of International Children's Day, join your host Bridget Mutambira on China-Africa Talk in a discussion on China's medical health support for orphaned and vulnerable children in Africa. Tune in every week. Find out what's happening between China and Africa on China-Africa Talk. Available on your preferred podcast. We'll see you there. At seven minutes past the hour, now Chinese Defense Minister Li Shengfu is scheduled to address government officials and security experts at the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore. The meeting comes amid high tensions between China and the United States. Media reports say China's declined the U.S. request for a meeting between the two countries' defense chiefs during the forum. China says the United States needs to show sincerity for talks. Miro Lu reports. The organizer says about 600 defense officials, military heads, and academics will be in attendance this year. On Saturday morning, the U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin will deliver his speech to further illustrate the next steps for the U.S. leadership in the Indo-Pacific. Now that will surely be closely watched by the Chinese Defense Minister and his team. On Sunday, the last day of the Shangri-La Dialogue, General Li Shangfu will take the center stage to elaborate on Beijing's new security initiatives. It will be the first time for General Li to speak to so many of his counterparts on a multinational stage since he took office in. This year, there will be a lot of focus on the Russia-Ukraine conflict, especially with the Ukrainian defense minister in attendance. You will see a mention of the Taiwan issue many times, perhaps, and then the border region security situation, Indo-Pacific versus Asia-Pacific, and some of the American security moves. You could also expect quite a lot of discussion on the Korean Peninsula, nuclear security in general, and maritime security. That was Miro Lu reporting. The Chinese defense minister is one of the officials being sanctioned by the United States. Former Singaporean Foreign Minister George Yeo says, as long as the U.S. Uh, sanctions in place, there will be no military dialogue between the two sides. For the Chinese people to invite me to talk to you when you sanction me is very rude, and I don't think it's acceptable to Chinese people. If you're inviting me for a conversation. You cannot treat me in this way.、Uh, I'm not sure if on the U.S. side there's the same cultural perspective. They think these are just tactics. We should still talk.、Uh, I think both sides should talk, and both sides probably want to talk.、Uh, but this,、uh, I think, this understanding has to be cleared up, and and it requires the U.S. to understand that it's not possible for the Chinese Defense Ministry to agree to talks when he's being sanctioned. That was former Singaporean Foreign Minister Giorgio commenting on why the U.S. should show sincerity before engaging with China in talks. Foreign ministers from BRICS countries are gathering for a meeting in South Africa ahead of a leaders' summit in August. And South Africa is the BRICS rotating president this year.、Uh, Julie Shire spoke with scholars and diplomats about the significance of the meetings. The annual BRICS foreign ministers meeting will set the tone for the 15th summit being held in South Africa. 
The grouping has grown in stature since its establishment in 2006 and has positioned itself as an alternative voice to the West. For a decade and a half now, we've had a consistent process of developing nations building, developing their own agendas and cooperating on multiple fronts, you know, whether it's the BRICS New Development Bank, uh, whether it is a host of other uh, BRICS-related interventions on anything from ICT to counter-terror to uh, uh, African peace and security issues. BRICS makes up 25% of the global economy, which is still fragile after the COVID-19 pandemic. Economic recovery has been set back further by the standoff between founding member Russia and the Ukraine. The conflict has raised political tensions and caused instability around food and energy costs. The world is extremely polarized and fractured at the current time. And I think it's important that as BRICS countries, uh, we focus on how is, is it possible for us as a collective to positively impact in addressing all of these challenges. Africa is a key focus at this year's summit as it ramps up free trade ambitions. The inclusion of other countries in the formation is also on the agenda and will be explored at the Friends of BRICS meeting. We still have an unequal global environment where those that have dominated the global stage uh, and making decisions on behalf of most of us, if not all of us, in the global south. And increasingly you are finding that the global south would like to have uh, a say in determining the shape of the new evolving order. South Africa has said it will provide diplomatic immunity to attendees from the BRICS group of countries, a practice the government said is routine to protect the conference and its attendees from the jurisdiction of the host country for the duration of the conference. That was Julie Shire reporting. The BRICS nations are reportedly exploring the creation of a common currency amid discussions around de-dollarization. The issue will likely be on the agenda for that August summit. Uh, Sumitra Naidu spoke with experts to find out more. The dollar's value may have dropped, but some experts believe the U.S. currency will remain dominant for much longer than many would like. Some countries are openly calling for a new currency to trade. In 2001, over 70% of all trade was done in U.S. dollar. And now in 2023, we talk about 53, 55% of global trade being done uh, uh, with U.S. dollar. Still the most dominant currency and the most uh, valuable uh, a source of reserve for currencies. Australia, China and Canada's currencies are finding some favour, having grown their reserves. According to the IMF's currency foreign exchange reserves data, China's renminbi reserves were at 2.7% of the world total in the fourth quarter of 2022. While there is certainly a shift towards China as the world's second biggest economy, it's happening gradually and will take time to reach US reserve levels. There seems to be more urgency around a BRICS currency. I think it's an extraordinary moment in time in the lives of uh, nations where uh, the BRICS will issue a specific currency to trade among themselves. And it's got many levels of impact to reduce their own cost in doing business among themselves, uh, with other nations around the world, and especially on a dollar-based uh, type of trading. Issuing a BRICS currency is very welcome and I think it's an extraordinary powerful idea that helps also to position these nations as global powers. 
$300 billion of Russia's reserves have been frozen under Western sanctions. Some analysts say this weaponization of the dollar could have long-term ramifications for other countries too. A BRICS currency may just be the disruptor many countries need. BRICS have made a clear decision to issue a currency. It may work or it may not work. We don't know. They need to test it. But there's great hope that it will work. And I think with that kind of hope, um, the future is much positive. The dollar is not going to disappear so easily, but its hegemony will be reduced to a point where it won't be able to be used to sanction other nations. BRICS countries are looking for alternatives in terms of trade. And I think seeing that as an alternative, not as a replacement, uh, provides for BRICS members the potential of reducing the risks that a very expensive U.S. dollar has created, particularly for developing countries. Countries from South America to the Middle East are queuing up to join the BRICS grouping because they do believe that it may be the powerhouse that could actually rival the U.S. dollar. That was Sumitra Naidu reporting. Thursday is International Children's Day. United Nations Children's Agency, UNICEF, has launched a campaign to raise public awareness and support on positive parenting towards children. The campaign provides many practical tips for caregivers to improve the growing environment for children's well-being. Zheng Tao has the story. With the theme, Light Every Moment of Childhood, the campaign has highlighted the importance of children's upbringing. The event has brought together caregivers and many child protection frontline workers to discuss a scientific way to raise children. Addressing the opening ceremony, Director Ni Chunxia of the China Center for Children's Welfare and Adoption says family education is crucial for children's healthy growth. Children immersed in love during childhood are better at receiving and offering love because they have been loved they know how to love others. Because they've been accepted, they know how to accept others. Because they experienced kindness and respect, they know how to respect others. Studies have found that parents who are constantly yelling or nagging their children end up feeling frustrated. The vicious cycle also brings side effects to children, resulting in various mental illnesses among vulnerable groups. Lu Dandan is a child director from Long An County in Guangxi, who focuses on promoting child protection and scientific parenting in rural areas. She says enhancing the growth conditions for children is largely dependent on educating parents, and she believes this is crucial for the healthy development of children. Parents are usually under huge pressure. They don't know how to deal with those pressures. We would talk with them to find a viable way to relieve their stresses, such as square dancing and singing. Liu has been working on the front line for more than two years, and she believes that improving the situation in China's rural areas has helped many parents understand that positive parenting is a learned behavior. After practicing positive parenting, many parents say they have had better communication with their children. Dora Justi is the chief of child protection at UNICEF China. She also emphasizes the need to raise awareness on positive parenting. That uh, uh, kind of parenting can have a very positive uh, um, contribution to healthy development of children and prevents also violence and abuse that, as we know, can cause uh, harm. Dora says UNICEF has worked with many partners, such as the China Center for Child Welfare and Adoption, to bring positive parenting sessions to many communities. 
So instead of using negative practices like spanking or yelling that can actually cause a negative impact in the short and long term on the development of children, they're adopting practices that really help and guide the child uh, to reflect on a mistake or a situation, to look for alternatives, to learn correct behaviors, and they also learn through role modeling by their parents. The efforts has already impacted over 20,000 caregivers in 15 counties across five provinces in China, resulting in significant progress in local regions. UNICEF is now calling on communities and businesses to support the government's efforts and expand positive parenting practices nationwide for all parents and children. For the Beijing Hour, this is Jiang Tao. Beijing's implemented the first industry standard for student meals ahead of International Children's Day. And for the first time, industry authorities say they've formed a complete set of standards that combine food nutrition and food safety. Zhou Feng has details. The standard specifies the purchase, transportation, and storage of ingredients, as well as qualifications for delivering the meals. It also stresses the importance of providing a variety of foods and a combination of nutrition and flavor. Wang Qingxia is the head of Beijing Student Nutrition Meals Association. She hails the new standards, saying they will gradually be applied in other provinces and cities after trial use. Our new standards demand using fresh rice from this year. This standard is stricter than the national one, which requires using rice within the shelf life. That's because rice produced this year tastes better, has more nutrients and ensures better quality. We also require high-quality and healthy poultry from regions without epidemics, as well as fresh and frozen aquatic products. Furthermore, we'll assess and rate our member enterprises. Those who don't meet our standards will be given time to improve, otherwise their qualification will be revoked. Currently, Beijing is the only city in the country to adopt this industry standard. Primary schools in other parts of the country are still adhering to the guideline on students' nutritious meals released in 2018. The major focus of the guideline is on ensuring that the meals are rich in protein, vitamins, iron and calcium. Tuanlin Primary School in Shangrao, Jiangxi Province is among the schools that are providing standard nutritious meals for students. Braised beef with potato and steamed pork with rice flour are just some of the regular dishes available. Deputy head of the school, Zhou Xiang, explains how they are running the project. We have two meat dishes, two vegetable dishes, and a soup available every day. Once a week, we offer additional dishes like steamed pork with rice flour and beef. Our food ingredient providers are required to have proper certificates, such as a business license and a product inspection certificate. We also ask them to provide valid receipts and quality inspection reports. Five years ago, the school could only provide bread, milk and eggs. Parents expressed hope that their children could enjoy a good lunch without returning home. The school's efforts and a subsidy from the government have made this possible. The steamed pork with rice flour and the stir-fried pork with carrots are so delicious. I have eaten up several bowls of rice. We students like all the dishes very much. There's a variety of them, which are all healthy and nutritious. Each student only has to pay 2 yuan or less than 30 U.S. cents for the lunch. 
while the remaining 5 yuan is covered by the government subsidy. For the Beijing Hour, this is Zhou Fang. Coming up, the UN's hosting meetings on protecting the marine environment. D-Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. At 22 minutes past the hour, the United Nations is hosting talks in Paris on plastic pollution. A proposed international agreement will focus on the marine environment. Uli spoke with experts about the importance of reducing plastic waste. The second session of the negotiations is aiming towards a treaty governing world plastic pollution by the end of next year. Wang Hua has a team with members in Paris to offer proposals. The keyword in plastic pollution is pollution. The objective is now to eliminate plastic, but to negotiate measures for its treatment and management. It aims to introduce globally binding legal documents in the next few years. The group that Puping Mei is part of is dedicated to rescuing marine animals. During recent rescue operations, she was shocked to discover large amounts of plastic waste on and inside whales and sea turtles. Environmentalists say there are many cases of animals harmed by plastic. They hope that through collective efforts from various sectors, the ecological impacts of plastic waste can be eliminated. Experts believe the main challenge is addressing the existing stock issue, which involves eliminating historical damage inflicted upon nature. That was Uli reporting. Smoke from wildfires in Canada has reached the United States. Residents in eastern Massachusetts can see a heavy haze in the sky. Air quality alerts are in effect for parts of Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Pollution's forecast for New Jersey and New York. Gusty winds and dry conditions have fueled blazes in Nova Scotia. A fire spreading through Halifax has forced 18,000 people from their homes. Uh, there are no fatalities so far, but the fires damaged 200 homes and other structures. The U.S. National Hurricane Center is gearing up for the Atlantic hurricane season. Nitsa Soledad Perez reports. The 2023 Atlantic hurricane season starts Thursday, June 1st. The U.S. National Hurricane Center predicts a 40% chance of a near-normal season, forecasting a range of 12 to 17 named storms. One to four of those storms, it says, could become major hurricanes with winds of 160 kilometers per hour or higher. The center's director says the public should not take this outlook lightly. But there's nothing good about a near-normal hurricane season in terms of activity. That's the activity we had across the basin last year. We had a catastrophic hurricane landfall in southwest Florida with Ian. We had Fiona affect Puerto Rico. We had a hurricane landfall in Florida in November with Nicole. So we're expecting a busy season. Now, for states like Florida, the latter half of the season tends to be more active. Last year, Hurricane Ian became the most expensive hurricane in Florida's history. It reached Category 5 and made landfall as a Category 4 in Punta Gorda by Florida's Gulf Coast. Ian was responsible for more than 150 deaths in the U.S. and Cuba. Now, for this summer, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration announces a series of upgrades. We've implemented a new storm surge model in NOAA uh, that is helping us to push real-time storm surge predictions out 72 hours in advance of the storm to get that critical life-saving information out to emergency managers and, the, and others who make those uh, evacuation decisions. But 
their main message to all those living in the Atlantic Basin is to start getting ready now. It only takes one powerful hurricane to disrupt the lives of entire communities. That was Nitsa Soledad Perez reporting from the U.S. National Hurricane Center in Miami. NASA is publicly addressing the subject of UFOs a year after launching a study into unexplained sightings. Associate Administrator for Science Missions Nicola Fox says the agency is not hiding anything. We don't release anything until it's really perfect. I mean, we have quick look data that is marked as quick look data. So, you know, you can use it to get preliminary findings, but wait for the, the really nicely cleaned up data. So a lot of rigorous protocol in putting out our data to make sure it is perfect. Uh, NASA televised a four-hour meeting on Wednesday featuring an independent panel of experts. The team includes 16 scientists and other experts, including retired astronaut Scott Kelly. NASA launched the study to probe what it calls UAPs, that's short for unexplained anomalous phenomena, in the sky, in space, or under the sea. A final report is expected in, uh, by the end of July. Uh, robot companies are showing their latest technology at a major robotics show underway in London. Hundreds of robots on display are giving visitors a glimpse of how AI and robots will change our lives in the future. Amika uses ChatGPT to respond to any questions people might have and can respond in any language. The robot's built by UK-based company Engineered Arts. CEO Will Jackson's happy to show off his creation's comprehension skills. The human face is a fantastic communication tool. We can say so much just with our facial expressions without speaking at all. If we can automate that kind of interaction, it just makes a much richer experience. So we will see a move away from using tablets and screens, touchscreens, to just talking to our technology. So imagine that world where communicating with technology is as easy as me talking to you. The International Conference on Robotics and Automation runs until Friday. It's 28 past the hour. Beijing's down to 16 degrees overnight. It's cloudy in 30 on Friday. Chongqing's at 21 this evening, then heavy rainfall in 28. Lass is down to 13. It's cloudy in 27 on Friday. Hong Kong will dip to 26 degrees. Thunder showers in 33 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 18 overnight. Torrential rainfall in 23 on Friday. Islamabad's overcast in 18, then a slight rain in 33. Bangkok's down to 26, then rain in 34 on Friday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the U.S. bill to raise the debt ceiling is on its way to the Senate after passing in the House of Representatives. China's defense minister will address government officials and security experts at the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore. The United Nations is hosting talks in Paris on plastic pollution. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. 
We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday. Still to come. In business, China's first domestically produced luxury cruise ship is nearing completion. In sports, comeback victory to clinch the Europe, uh, Europa League title. In culture and entertainment, Beijing's science fiction film night. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn. Uh, now check the day's headlines, and here's Tian Yu. Thank you, Shane. The U.S. House of Representatives has passed an act that suspends application of the federal government debt ceiling until January 2025. The act still needs approval by the U.S. Senate and signing by U.S. President Joe Biden to avoid a historic default on government debt. The U.S. is expected to default on its debt obligations by June the 5th without raising or suspending the debt limit. Sources familiar with the situation say former Vice President Mike,、uh, Vice U.S. President Mike Pence will enter the presidential race against Donald Trump next week. Pence is, is expected to launch his campaign in Iowa. The former Vice President has increasingly distanced himself from Trump since his election defeat to Joe Biden. Pence has refused to support Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election results. Moldova is hosting a major summit of European leaders as it prepares to join the European Union. The second meeting of the European political community brings together around 50 leaders from 47 countries. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has reaffirmed the EU's support for Moldova, pledging more finance and investment. We're stepping up support with our economic and investment plan for Moldova. Our initial target was to reach 600 million euro of additional investment. The good news is that we will be almost tripling that amount. Indeed, with the additional financing that we will mobilize, we can now leverage to 1.6 billion euros. Founder Lyons said that since October 2021, the European Union has provided more than 1 billion euros to Moldova. Moldova received EU candidate status in June of last year, at the same time as Ukraine. A source close to the talks says the United Nations has proposed for Moscow, Kiev, and Ankara to begin preparations for the transit of Russian ammonia through Ukraine. Ukraine and Turkey have reportedly agreed to the proposal, but Russia has not responded. The source, who requested anonymity, says the UN wants parallel talks on widening the Black Sea grain deal. Russia recently agreed to extend the export deal for two months, but Moscow has threatened to end the initiative unless an agreement aiming at overcoming obstacles to Russian exports is fulfilled. Sudan's army has suspended ceasefire talks with the rival military faction. The army accused RSF of a lack of commitment. Commitment. The two sides began negotiations brokered by Saudi Arabia and the United States last month. They have agreed to protect civilians and allow the delivery of humanitarian aid under two short-term truces. The suspension of talks has sparked fears of a deeper humanitarian crisis. Senegalese President Macky Sall has promised fair election next year, following weeks of fresh opposition unrest.
Saul was addressing members of various parties, religious leaders, and civil society groups during a national dialogue aimed at easing tensions. I would like to say here that the government will take all the necessary measures to organize a peaceful, democratic, free and transparent election. Separatic violent protests have broken out across Senegal since opposition leader Usman Sonko was detained for alleged rape in 2021. His supporters say this is a tactic to bar him from the February presidential poll. The government denies the insinuation. Sonko and some other opposition figures boycotted the event. A shooting in Pennsylvania has killed three people and wounded another. Two children aged uh, aged 9 and 8 and 9 died after the shooting outside a home in the town of Lebanon. Mayor Sherry Capello says is unacceptable. These shootings are unacceptable. As a mom, I cannot overstate how heartbroken I am for the families. I cannot imagine what these families are going through right now. It is unimaginable. As the mayor, I am heartbroken for our community. We do not want to see any gun violence in our city, and certainly not among our children, who are some of our most vulnerable population. Police say SWAT team members executed a search at a home and took someone into custody who is of interest in the case. But the person was arrested on an unrelated matter. It remains, it remains unclear what may have led up to the shooting. An Australian veteran has lost a defamation lawsuit against three newspapers. Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, and The Canberra Times accused Ben Robert Smith of involvement in the murder of six Afghans during his deployment in Afghanistan from 2006 to 2012. The 44-year-old is widely regarded as a national hero, having won several top military honors, including the Victoria Cross. The court found four of the six murder allegations true, with other soldiers and veterans as witnesses. Before the trial, the Australian government had applied to delay the proceedings on grounds of national security. Robert Smith was not present in court. Thanks for the update. That was Tianyu. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's first domestically produced luxury cruise ship is nearing completion. China's business environment is once again under the spotlight, as a revised law against espionage is about to take effect in July. Some people are concerned the risks have increased for foreign business people traveling to China. What's the real situation on the ground? Do foreigners have to change their plans on doing business in China? Join business insiders and experts to find out the answers to these and more questions on this week's Chat Lounge on your favorite podcast platform and here on CGTN Radio. At 37 minutes past the hour. Uh, stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish mixed on Thursday. Timothy Pope has more. The latest manufacturing PMI data from Caixin, which looks at small and medium-sized enterprises, was a nice surprise for the markets today, returning to expansion territory uh, with a reading of 50.9 for May. And uh, that was uh, better than the result from the uh, official government PMI survey released yesterday and a very welcome piece of good news uh, for the Chinese economy and the markets. And it seemed to halt the falls on the Chinese mainland markets, but not do much more than that. The Shanghai Composite uh, Index 
ended the day unchanged and the Shenzhen component added about four tenths of one percent. We saw a swing to gains for energy majors like Sinopec, rather. Uh, it was up by about two percent and uh, tech stocks were rising as well. The AI industry was the leader on the tech front. Uh, iFlytech arose by 10% after China's Ministry of Industry and Information Technology named the firm as a leader in uh, China's AI national team uh, alongside Huawei and Baidu. Uh, these companies will be working alongside the ministry and the Chinese Academy of Sciences on uh, large language model AIs. And um, the latest market data that we have for May was out today showing foreign investor selling of Chinese A-shares has accelerated a bit. Data from Refinitiv shows that foreigners sold 1.7 billion US dollars worth of A-shares last month via the Stock Connect links. But this does look a bit like a drop in the bucket compared to the heavy buying uh, that we saw in the first quarter. Net purchases by foreign investors for the year so far uh, is still up at 25 billion US dollars. But it does indicate uh, that market confidence is currently a little bit lacking. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down by a tenth of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei closed up eight tenths of a percent. A private sector survey shows China's manufacturing activity returned to positive territory in May as both market supply and demand improved. The Caixin Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index reached 50.9 in May after two months of decline. The private Caixin Manufacturing PMI trends in the opposite direction of the official PMI of 48.8. Meantime, the strong growth of China's service sector lifted the official composite PMI to 52.9 in May. The Manufacturing Production Index reached the highest level since July of last year and the second highest level in the past two years. A company surveyed said the sales growth was driven by improved market demand and an increase in new buyers, which contributed to a rise in industrial production. China's first domestically built cruise ship is preparing to undock in Shanghai ahead of its delivery later this year. The ship, named Adora Magic City, is in the final stages of construction at the Shanghai Waigao Chao Shipbuilding Yard. Officials say 90% of the construction work is complete, and the cruise ship is set to be floated on June the 6th. The 5,000-guest cruise ship is over 320 meters long, with a height equivalent to uh, that of a 24-story building. It was jointly designed by China State Shipbuilding Corporation and Shanghai Waigao Chao Shipbuilding Yard. Uh, the vessel has been under construction since 2019. China's first offshore carbon storage project has been put into operation in the South China Sea. The China National Offshore Oil Corporation says the project will further facilitate China's carbon peak and neutrality goals. The company says it's designed to store more than 1.5 million tons of carbon dioxide. Hainan Province is the perfect place to grow a diverse selection of tropical fruits thanks to its location and environment. Xiaopeng has more. Yellow pitaya, a high-end dragon fruit originally from Ecuador, has been successfully grown in Sanya, Dongfang, and other places across Tainan in recent years. At a workshop in Sanya, golden plump yellow pitayas are sent to the cleaning pool and then sorted into different baskets according to size. After that, they're placed into gift packages. And to ensure maximum freshness, all the steps are completed on the same day the fruits are picked. 
They then immediately sent to their destinations via plane. Today we picked about 180 baskets of yellow pitayas, with each basket weighing about 18 kilos. They are supplied to e-commerce platforms and supermarkets in first-tier cities such as Beijing and Shanghai. The annual output per hectare is about 26,000 kilos. Yellow pitayas weighing around 100 grams are sold at a price range of 10 to 15 yuan per kilo. Hainan has about 200,000 hectares of tropical fruit, with an output of over 5 million tons. More than 400 new varieties of tropical fruit have been introduced for trial planting, with an eighth of those proving successful. The fruit here is highly sought after in international markets such as Japan, South Korea, Russia, the Middle East, and the European Union. Taking Sanyang as an example, data provided by the Sanyang Agriculture and Rural Affairs Bureau shows that since the beginning of 2023, more than 650 tons of tropical fruit, such as mangoes, cantaloupes, and vax apples, have been exported to countries and regions such as the United States, Canada, Europe, and China's Hong Kong. Since the beginning of this year. Our company's export volume of mangoes has increased by more than 40% year on year, and we've also expanded our exports to some other countries this year, such as Canada and the United States. The total export volume to foreign countries was approximately 35,000 kilograms, earning a revenue of about 2 million yuan. That was Xiao Peng reporting from Hainan. Tesla CEO Elon Musk has made a late-night visit to the Shanghai Gigafactory amid a tight schedule during his China trip. Musk has been on his first tour of China in three years and is expected to fly back to Texas on Thursday. He arrived in Beijing earlier in the week, where he met with senior Chinese officials, including Foreign Minister Qin Gong, Commerce Minister Wang Wangtao, and Industry and Information Minister Jin Zhuanglong. Apple says the App Store ecosystem facilitated 1.1 trillion U.S. dollars in developer billings and sales in 2022. Economists from Analysis Group estimate that App Store developers generated 910 billion dollars in total billings and sales from the sale of physical goods and services. Another 109 billion dollars was generated from in-app advertising, and 104 billion dollars for digital goods and services. According to The study developer billings and sales surged by 27% between 2019 and 2020, another 27% through 2021, and 29% through 2022. An analysis by Progressive Policy Institute also found the iOS app economy now supports more than 4.8 million jobs across the United States and Europe. New Development Bank plans to expand its outreach and fund more of its projects in local currencies to support emerging economies. NDB、uh, President Dilma Rousseff says the bank aims to strengthen domestic markets of member countries and protect borrowers from the risk of currency fluctuations. What we are proposing is that part of the financing for member countries should be settled in their local currencies. This type of financing can be carried out using the currencies of other developing countries or emerging markets in the currency baskets. 
local currency settlements can enhance corporate financing. I believe this is advantageous. Well, this week, Rousseff outlined the bank's priorities for the next few years as the bank held its eighth annual meeting. Uh, she said the bank will raise funds in diverse world markets and in different economies. It'll increase its participation in co-financing operations with other multilateral financial institutions, national banks, and the private sector. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, a comeback victory to clinch the Europa League title. Chinese male athletes have made historic breakthroughs at French Open, with Zhang Zhijian winning his first main draw match at Roland Garros and a couple more players making their tournament debuts. Will Grand Slam appearances become their routine? How far are they from reaching the second week action? Follow this week's Sideline Story podcast to get a glimpse of China's rise on the tennis courts. 47 past the hour now and turning to sports. Here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. In football, Sevilla made a remarkable comeback to clinch the Europa League title with a 5-2 victory against Roma in the penalty shootout in Budapest. The opening period proved challenging for both sides, marked by numerous fouls that disrupted the rhythm of the match. Roma broke the deadlock five, uh, 35 minutes into the game when Paulo Dybala struck the far post corner in a counter-attack. Sevilla rebounded well and leveled the score in the second half when Mancini deflected the dangerous cross from Jesus Navas Gonzalez into his own goal. In the penalty shootout, Sevilla converted all attempts, while Mancini and Roger Ibanez were denied by Bono. Sevilla head coach Josie Luis Mantlibal praised the performance of both teams and said they deserve this trophy. When they got the go, we thought it was going to be very complicated to come back because they defend very well. They can get a second goal on the counter-attack, but I think we played well. We got the equalizer early in the second half, and that gave us strength to try and win the game. I think we have spent a longer time in the opposition's half, but it's true that at the very end of the extra time, we suffered as well. So we tried to defend really well. Roma always tried to do that, defend really well and try and get a second goal out of a set piece, but they couldn't make it. We got to the penalties and, well, Bunu stopped one of them and we managed to put the rest away. And of course, that's why we lifted the trophy in the end. It's the seventh time for Sevilla to raise, to raise the Europa League trophy. At the French Open, China's Zhang Qingwen lost to Yulia Putinseva in a grueling three-set match during the women's singles second round. Putinseva, a two-time quarter-finalist at Roland Garros in 2016 and 2018, seized the four consecutive games in the decisive set after a two-all tie. Zhang broke into the top 100 last year after qualifying for the second round at the Australian Open. In other matches, a fifth seed Caroline Garcia was upset by world number 56 Anna Blinkova in three sets. Garcia expressed his uh, disappointment after the match. Yeah, of course. Um, obviously, I'm disappointed uh, about the result, and uh, and uh, I think I could have played better tennis. But uh, she she played very good. She managed uh, the crowd very well and uh, kept very calm after uh, having uh, so many match points. And uh, obviously, very disappointing with uh, the result and to be out of the tournament uh, in the second round. And I wanted to do more, but uh, it's tennis. 
Vault number three, Jessica Pegula advanced to the next round as Camelia Georgi retired after losing the opening set. In the men's singles, Novak Djokovic eased past Martin Fusovic in straight sets to reach the third round. Vault number three will next face 29th seed Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. China has become from behind to beat Brazil 3-2 in the FIVB Women's Volleyball Nations League. China scored five points in a row in the deciding set to complete the upset with two successful blocks from captain Yuan Xingyue. Chinese spiker Li Yingying scored a game-high 26 points, and Wang Yunlu added 18. It was China's first match since the World Championships last October. They will take on Germany on Friday. China's women's team overwhelmed Israel 21-4 and Lithuania 17-7 in the group stage of the FIBA 3x3 World Cup. The bronze medalists of the 2022 World Cup dominated game against Israel, with 30-year-old veteran Wang Li Li earning a game-high 12 points and Zhang Jiting grabbing 7 rebounds. In the rematch of last year's World Cup bronze medal game, Wang collected a game-high 8 rebounds, while Wang Jiyuan contributed 8 points and 4 rebounds. China will next play Italy and Romania on Friday. The Detroit Pistons are about to give Monty Williams the richest contract ever for an NBA head coach. ESPN reported that the former Phoenix Suns manager agreed to a six-year contract worth over 78 million US dollars. The deal reportedly includes team options for the seventh and eighth seasons that could push the deal's total value to over 100 million US dollars. The Pistons are replacing Dwayne Casey, who stepped down last month after five seasons as head coach. Williams won Coach of the Year honors in the 2021-22 season. He led Phoenix Suns to the playoffs the last three seasons. And in Major League Baseball, Shuhil Tani blasted a pair of two-run home runs, and Mike Trout and Taylor Walt hit one each to lift the Los Angeles Angels over the Chicago White Sox 12-5. Angels starter Jamie Barrier scattered one round and four hits with three walks and six strikeouts in five innings. Andrew Valve and Yasmani Grandel both had a pair of hits for the White Sox. Jake Bergen hit a solo home run in the ninth inning. Hansberg uh, Alberto closed the scoring with two-round double. In other action, Luis Garcia hit a tie-breaking three-round homer in the eighth inning and Washington Nationals beat the Los Angeles Dodgers to avoid a three-game series sweep. Spencer Steen hit a two-run home run in the seventh inning to help the Cincinnati Reds stretch its winning streak to five games by beating the Boston Red Sox. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Sports. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in culture, Beijing's science fiction film night. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 53 past the hour. Now turn into culture. Here's Tianyu. Thank you, Shane. Beijing has hosted a science fiction film night, which highlighted some of the finest sci-fi submissions from all over the world. The event in Shogun Park awarded films for Best Sci-Fi Animation, Best Story, Best Special Effects, and other categories. Wang Hongwei with the Beijing Film Academy says the event offers young filmmakers a platform to present their works. 
I think these short films are actually good examples for young sci-fi film fans and producers in the future. Don't be unrealistic, reduce unnecessary expenditure, and avoid using overly grand settings. Start from some concepts you may be familiar with, and you can still create good works. Among the many films recommended on the night was *Journey to the Moon*, one of China's first sci-fi films made for children, which tells the story of an elderly man who lives alone but takes an unexpected trip to the moon with his robot grandson in 2050. American composer Niklo Athens with the Tianjin Juilliard School has been mixing Western classical music with traditional Chinese cultural elements. Through his immersion in Chinese literary classics and folk tunes, he hopes to introduce his love for the country to a wider audience. Shen Li has more. Western classical music and Chinese musical heritage. Blend in perfect harmony. For American composer Niklo Athens, this is the most natural way to create, combining his love of music with a deep interest in China. The 34-year-old Athens now teaches composition at the Tianjin Juilliard School, the branch campus of the Juilliard School in New York, and has been pushing the limits of Western classical music. Mixing the rich sonorities and compelling melodies of Chinese music. Among his many compositions, free settings from the Book of Odes is probably one of the most challenging. Mixing the guzheng or the Chinese plug zither with a chamber music setting, the piece is inspired by Shi Jing, with a history of 2,500 years. Is believed to be the oldest existing example of Chinese poetry. I think the interesting thing about it for me is this, this sort of combination of some aspects of it being still very familiar and、um, other parts of it being very foreign. I get a similar、um, sense sometimes reading things like Homer or the sort of foundational things from Western literature. Some aspects of it are very recognizably human, and other things in it just seem so sort of alien in a sort of en- enchanting and interesting way. In ancient China, you know, poems, music, and dance they were believed to be interconnected. So, in a way, I think the poems from Shi Jing were written to be chanted aloud. Sure. I mean, not just. I mean, even later, song poetry is all based on you know different song meters.、Um, but yeah, for sure, they were sung. So it makes a very natural setting to music. Among the many classical repertoires from the West, there exists quite a few which bear strong Chinese influences. The most notable ones include Puccini's Turandot and composer John Cage's take on I Ching, the Book of Changes, an ancient Chinese divination text. Athens says although the two composers approach the subject differently, the kind of cultural resonance shown in their music is palpable. That was Shen Li reporting. A film event screening a series of China-themed documentaries shot by a Japanese director is currently underway in Tokyo. At the recent premiere of his documentary *The Yangtze River*, Ryo Takeuchi said that he hopes to present the real picture of China through his films. Back in 2011, he participated in the filming of a documentary about China's longest river for NHK, Japan's public broadcaster, when he sailed along the river from Qinghai and Sichuan provinces down to Shanghai. 
for his new production, Takeuchi traveled over 6,000 kilometers to record how the Yangtze River was formed and show the audience the changes of it. Country music superstar Dolly Parton has added three new Guinness World Records to her collection. Parton set the record for the longest span of number one hits on the U.S. Top Country Albums chart for a female artist. The Guinness World Records awarded Parton with a certificate in Nashville, Tennessee for her musical achievements. Her first of uh, eight albums, albums to top Billboard's Top Country Albums chart was New Harvest First Gathering, released in 1977. Thank you very much. That was Tian Yu with your culture update. We're at 58 past the hour, Beijing's is 16 degrees overnight. Tomorrow's cloudy and 30. Chongqing's down to 21 this evening, then heavy rainfall in 28. Lhasa dips to 13, followed with clouds in 27. Hong Kong's 26 tonight, thunder showers in 33 on Friday. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 18 this evening, torrential rainfall in 23 on Friday. Islamabad's overcast and down to 18, then a slight rain in 33. Bangkok's 26 overnight, then rainfall in 34 Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the U.S. bill to raise the debt ceiling is on the way to the Senate after passing in the House of Representatives. And China's defense minister will address government officials and security experts at the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham and the Chinese Capitol, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.